Thanks for tuning in to Sweet Stories in the Dell. It's a podcast about what makes Sweetbriar College truly unique. My name is Caperton Morton. I'm an audio storyteller and a Sweetbriar alum. This is episode two at the core, but if you haven't listened to episode one, stop now. Listen to it first. You'll get a better understanding of who President Meredith Wu is, and that will help you better understand her vision ahead for the college. While I was on campus last January gathering interviews, I was able to sit down with President Wu to talk about the core curriculum. Then, after the college transitioned to remote learning due to COVID-19, I spoke with some others through Skype. I was brought up in another culture. I have traveled the world. I think I have an insight as an outsider that sometimes even people who are insiders don't always have. When President Wu arrived on campus, she began looking at Sweetbriar with new eyes. She stepped back for a broader view, even looking back in time at Sweetbriar's legacy. And from these multidimensional views and others, she began building a vision that reflects our unique strengths as an institution. As you know, we made a big change in our curriculum that instead of having generic liberal arts program, and by that what I mean is if you take number of classes from various divisions in the liberal arts, then after that you can go on to major in whatever you want to major in, and then voila, you are an educated woman. Well, instead of that, we wanted to do something far more intentional and focused. In 2017, before President Wu was hired, The faculty formed the Academic Initiatives Committee, or the AIC. They voted in four faculty members, including Jeff Key, an associate professor of political science. I've come back to Sweetbriar. I was at Sweetbriar from 1990 until 2006. And then I was away for 10 years. And then uh, some friends called me and said, would you consider coming back? I said, sure, I'll come back. And so uh, I did, and we've enjoyed it. I teach, uh, we call it political science now, but alums would have remembered government and international affairs. President Wu came in and she said, we need to work over some things. You know, taking that initial planning document or, no, it wasn't a planning document, but the white paper was was a thought piece and we took off from there. The AIC solicited proposals from groups of self-selected faculty who came up with their own visions of what a valuable core could be. And uh, we put together some of the best pieces of half a dozen different fully fleshed out proposals. You know, after really intensive thinking about what the new core ought to look like, faculty said leadership is where it's at. We all sat down and we asked ourselves, what is leadership? And it was actually a perilous notion, this notion of leadership, because a lot of colleges focus on leadership, either implicitly or explicitly. But implicitly, all colleges focus on producing leaders, right? And so, uh, you know, when Princeton University says Princeton in service of the nation, that means leadership. 
University of Virginia has a Batten School of Leadership. Leadership ethos pervades these places. So we asked ourselves, what has Sweetbriar wrought over the last 116 years? Who are these women? So I began writing down attributes, and there was something very unusual about Sweetbriar women. These are women who get things done. They know how to roll up their sleeves. They can identify problems. They can solve problems. These are women who know how to collaborate, how to work in a team, how to encourage the team, and above all, have the ethics of responsibility and accountability. And I thought. I saw a whole lot of women like this among the women I've met, who were shaped by the experience at Sweetbriar. I said, "Why wouldn't we look at these traits as the traits fundamentally of leadership?" And I thought, "This is female leadership. This is exactly the leadership we need in the 21st century." So we said. Let's do it. We can define what leadership is in the context of Sweetbriar. We're just going to do it much more intentionally. President Wu and the faculty also asked the question: Can leadership be taught? And they came up with two answers: Yes and no. It can't be taught because sometimes leadership comes through experience, through life, and through wisdom. And you can't learn it in the classroom entirely. There are some things that can be taught in the period of four years while they stay at Sweetbriar, and it can be extended throughout life so that they can continue to improve upon themselves as leaders. Our leadership core is unique.、Uh, it's habits of the mind, discipline of the mind that we're focused on. That is conducive to producing leaders of tomorrow. It's designed intentionally with ten courses spread out across a, a not so much knowledge fields but understanding fields. It's this idea of、uh, equipping young women with the tools to go out into the world and to be part of things bigger than themselves. There are ten leadership core courses, and they are unique. You can read the course descriptions online at sbc.edu under academics. But President Wu describes the gist of them. Some of it would be familiar to you、uh, by looking at other leadership programs. One focuses on decision making, and decision making can be taught in many different ways. For instance, right now we're teaching it in terms of statistics because statistics is the science of decision making. We do problem solving through a method called、uh, design thinking. We teach persuasive writing. We teach arts appreciation because that's very important for understanding our civilization and empathy. We also, and this is really critical, teach ethical thinking. Because it is important, the most important quality in leadership is taking responsibility and being accountable. 
And then we also have a course that's unusual, but I like to call it citizen science, meaning that we try to teach scientific concepts that are complex, but without which we cannot understand big debates that we're all engaged in today, such as climate change, such as uh, social consequences of artificial intelligence, right? And such as some of the breakthroughs in medical science and other things. Other than that, I think that there are certain areas of emphasis that you won't find any place else and that are specific to what I believe is special to women leadership core. One is the notion that women really have to get better in terms of financial thinking, because women have been at some distance from power and wealth in many ways, or decision-making about wealth, that women are not always as profound to think about financial consequences and implications of their daily decisions. The other thing is a unique curriculum that's evolving about stewardship of our built and natural environment. And uh, so that places a lot of focus on sustainability, conservation, preservation, because women are terrific stewards, have always been, of our society and our built-in natural environment. And they will be called upon to do more of that in the 21st century. The core is probably the, the most disruptive in a positive way force for change that really in 30 years I haven't seen people generally animatedly be supportive of of group efforts to make something happen. Faculty are really cooperating around things. They're finding ways to support one another and this core is like a catalyst. It's creating heat, it's creating light, it's creating energy. It's making a reaction take place. Uh, It's actually making more sense the longer we persist with it. This is a case where we're doing what we purport to be doing. The the 10 core series uh, in the leadership core, that contributes to those young people's understanding of what they will be able to, to do when they get out. The second of the 10 core courses is Core 120, The Mindful Writer. One of the professors who teaches this course is Carrie Brown. Carrie is a professor of English and creative writing, as well as the director of the Center for Creativity, Design, and the Arts. She's published eight novels and has won multiple awards for her writing. Oh, The Mindful Writer. I love The Mindful Writer. Well, we wanted to create something that was a little different than the standard English composition class, which is which is offered <clears throat> out there in the world. But we hope that as a platform for students who may not feel very confident about their reading and writing skills, that it gives them an opportunity to practice. And I had developed a course that used the New Yorker as its text and, and wanted to see if that would be a good model for a class that asked students to both practice their reading skills and simultaneously practice their writing skills and 
also had the kind of ancillary benefit of just teaching them a whole lot about what was happening in the world, especially, of course, what was happening in terms of politics and what was happening in terms of the climate, what was happening in terms of international affairs, what was happening in terms of cultural shifts. I think the course has been has been quite successful. Students have an individual 12-week subscription to The New Yorker. So they're reading The New Yorker magazine um, very intensively for 12 weeks. And then they're practicing writing the kinds of pieces that might appear in The New Yorker. So they're, they're learning a variety of rhetorical styles and methods. They're learning to address a general audience. And they're practicing their voices as writers and as communicators. I mean, it's wherever their interests lie. Well, it's very hard to write something about a topic that you're not very interested in. But if you can help the students discover the things that they are interested in, they do much better. So, I mean, students have really created some remarkable pieces. There was a, a student from Colorado who wrote about what had happened to the state since the legalization of marijuana and specifically what the effects have been on the public school system. That was a fascinating piece. Um, oh God, I'm like drawing a blank, but they're, I mean, they've just, if you let them write about the things that interest them and let them do some research and develop those skills, they really do quite remarkable work. I'm Lucy Wasserstein. I'm a student at Sweetbriar. I'm a sophomore currently um, from New York City, and I'm majoring in psychology. The publication, The Mindful Writer, named for the core course, is distributed within the Sweetbriar community. It's set up like the New Yorker magazine, and the articles are written by Mindful Writer students. Among the articles I read was Turing Tried and Turing Tested, The Rise of Artificial Intelligence, written by Lucy Wasserstein. It's a great example of the interdisciplinary nature of the core courses. You know, I definitely do agree. It's a lot, a lot easier and just a lot more fun uh, to write about something that you are interested in, less of a slog. I mean, I'm just really interested in AI and it's just general, just technology and how it will be advancing over the next uh, however many years. And I, you know, I did some research um, on, you know, how the discipline of computer science got started, how... Uh, the invention of artificial intelligence and all of that, how that played into computer science. I also sent out a survey to people in my dorm about their opinions on artificial intelligence, you know, what they think about, you know, Siri, like Cortana, Alexa, all these virtual assistants, you know, what they use them for, all this stuff. They're just their general attitudes on uh, modern technology. I just all incorporated it into an article that I thought would be interesting. I asked Lucy what the Mindful Writer class did for her writing and her confidence as a writer. Well, it, it definitely increased my confidence, um, so I guess the class was successful. Carrie, as a professor, I love her so much. She's amazing. She really helped us. Her her feedback is just, it's incredible. It's so good. We're, we're doing a lot of peer work as well, and we help each other out uh, with edits and, you know, give them advice and all of that. And I think not only does it help you find your voice as a, as a writer, you, you learn how to, you know, give better criticism as well. And then we, we bring in a New Yorker staff writer, a woman, every year to talk to the students. And those have been, those have been just <laughs> wonderful. So Rebecca Mead, 
uh, came the first year. Uh, Ariel Levy came this past fall, and I've and I've lined up Gia Tolentino to come in the fall of 2020, which I'm incredibly excited about. Did you come up with the idea of using the New Yorker as a text? So I have been getting the New Yorker, thanks to my Uncle Jim, and loving it um, since I was about 12 years old because I loved it. I knew already that I wanted to be a writer, and, and he was thrilled by that. And he gave me a subscription until he died last year at the age of 92. You know, it's just like having the 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 world open itself at your feet um, and to me that just felt like an, an immense gift to the students Carrie also has some valuable thoughts about the reformation of the core curriculum I think it's really important to remember and it's certainly important for, for us on the faculty to remember that curricular reform in general for most academic institutions is something that takes years and it takes reams of consultants and task forces. And, you know, it is, it is not a process that happens quickly. Sweetbriar is small, and so it can afford to do it more quickly. But still, to have overhauled the curriculum here as dramatically as it has been overhauled since 2015 is really quite an extraordinary feat. Um, and to do it in a way that is as visionary as, as President Wu wanted it to be, is even more of a feat. Next is Core 130, Women and Gender in the World. Professors teaching it approach it in different ways. Jeff Key decided to format his class as a global women's conference. Each student researched the country they represented and came to class prepared for discussions. It was unlike any course I've taught because I was facilitating interaction among students on their projects of, of individual interest in parts of the world that were interesting to them. It was a class of 50 students, and uh, generally every class they were meeting with uh, delegates from their region of the world and talking about the problems of women in their country or their region. And then ultimately we came together. We were able to get uh, that done, part of it done before COVID-19, before spring break. Jeff and other professors of this course invite women speakers to share and discuss their experiences in their places of work. And many of these speakers come from the greater Sweetbriar community of Amherst County, the town of Amherst, and nearby cities. We had the Board of Supervisors came uh, from Amherst County this semester and talked to the class. I had the head of Merriam's House. Uh, it's a shelter for homeless women and children. The students, they're, they're alive to those things that are local to them. They live a lot of their lives online and following national and international issues, but, but they find that uh, what's going on locally resonates with them in an immediate way. And gosh, uh, just having visits in class sometimes has spurred people to pursue internships and start rethinking what their priorities are about what they're doing here at Sweetbriar and what they plan to do after it. So it's surprising. But at the same time, it's not surprising. They just haven't been exposed to it. 
both uh, Kimberly Morris-Jones and myself use other faculty members to come in. And for instance, this semester back in February, I had Dan Lee from economics come in and talk about the wage gap. And it was really uh, eye-opening to the students because you, you look at the, the notion of a wage gap as, a, as just a fact. And you say, okay, there's a difference. Women are paid uh, 20% less than men on average. So what an economist does is unpack that. So, okay, what kind of choices are being made? And, and, and he was able to cite, for instance, all kinds of data from economic research about how people, when they're hired, uh, the degree to which they negotiate. And there is data that suggests that uh, women tend not to negotiate. And that's where you get the bigger salaries. And that was important for the students to hear because to hear just the statement, women are paid less, there's no action, there's, there's no charge to do things differently other than protest. Well, protesting's fine, but you don't have to protest if everyone simply starts saying, no, I'll take this job, but I, I need this. And uh, it, it gets us past this sort of idea that things have to either blow up or stay the same. We have the capacity to change as a country. Uh, we have the capacity to change as a college, and students are a big part of that. I, I couldn't think of a place I'd rather be right now. It's interesting, and I, I told students, I said, I'll state the obvious the first day. Uh, I'm old, I'm white, I'm male. I said, this is not who I am. These are all attributes that, that you can see. Uh, that's all the same kind of labeling that I, I try to avoid doing, and I ask you not to do it to me. And this was not a stretch for me. Gosh, I'd done my doctoral dissertation in Pakistan, and most of that work was with women's groups. And I shared some of my stories the first day about my experiences in developing countries to study NGOs, non-governmental organizations, and sort of backing into feminism. It changed me, and uh, it made me more empathetic, absolutely more empathetic. I'm Kelly Cobb. I recently graduated of the class of 2020. I was a business major, originally from Tyler, Texas. I think of one class that really affected how I learned at Sweetbriar. It was a class called Women and Gender in the World. It was a debate class. Kaylee's professors Mike Burnell, who teaches Spanish, and Kimberly Morse-Jones, an associate professor of art history, formatted their teaching of Core 130 by reaching back into Sweetbar's forgotten history. So we went in the library, and there's nothing more empowering than standing on a debate balcony in one of the most beautiful libraries in the country and discussing different women's rights issues. The Mary Helen Cochran Library is truly beautiful. Architect Ralph Adams Cram designed Sweetbar's campus, including the library, which opened in 1929. In fact, his design included two debate balconies, one at each end of the main reading room. And until researching the college architecture, I had no idea that those balconies had any use at all. And neither Kaylee nor her professor, Kimberly Morse-Jones, know when the debate balconies were last used. L. Warner, my friend, classmate, and one of my pod squad editors, told me she didn't know either. Her debate class in the early 80s met in Babcock, and they debated in the auditorium. 
So I contacted my friend Carol McMurtry Fowler, class of 1957. And I have to admit, I was surprised that even Carol had no idea the balconies were designed for debate. So that takes us back to 1953, when Carol came to Sweetbriar as a freshman. Now, Kimberly and I are both going to dig deeper, looking for some answers, and we agreed to keep each other informed. I'll let you know if we unearth any new information. Cram built those debate balconies for academic debate, academic forums. Early in our history, we wanted women outspoken in academic settings, and the structure of our buildings show that. Um, it has had a resurgence, which is really special to be able to get to use the space in a way that it was designed to be used and that a modern woman can interact with. It was so fascinating to hear the different perspectives of students, you know, and the different biases that people had. And you get to hear people's stories through their opinions and through what they believe. It may not be an argument that you agree with. I still don't know if I agree with the argument that I was put into, but it made me become such a better orator and be more compassionate towards another person disagreeing with me by having to know both sides. Now I skip ahead to the last of the 10 core courses, the capstone, which is Core 300, the Consequential Citizen. President Wu taught this course during the spring semester. And please keep in mind that President Wu and I spoke last January. The description for the course said that as the capstone, this was time for students to reflect upon what their learning and leadership was like. And so, you know, I'm asked to create a reflective space. So I thought that gives me some freedom. Reflective space can be anything. So I thought that uh, we create that space by taking advantage of what is really unusual and fantastic about Sweetbriar, that it is situated in the Commonwealth of Virginia. It was the most powerful state in colonial times and in the founding of the republic. There were seven presidents coming from Virginia in the first 12 presidents in this country. So this is obviously a state that produces great leaders, and, uh, you know, there are substantial presidential homes in the state which can serve as classroom for our students. Classes like Consequential Citizen, where there's heavy discussion on heavy topics like slavery, like injustice. It's so interesting to hear the different perspectives of what a leader should be and what a leader can be. President Wu is, like you said, super observant and I think that was an expectation of the class is to to look at the details, to look deeper. Um, and as you look deeper, you find those those hidden stories. Before the campus closed for remote learning, the plan was that President Wu would take the class to two of Thomas Jefferson's homes, Monticello and his summer home, Poplar Forest. They'd also visit James Monroe's Ashlawn, James Madison's Montpelier, and George Washington's Mount Vernon. Kaylee mentioned that by the time the class transitioned to remote learning, they had visited Mount Vernon and Montpelier in person. Back in January, I asked President Wu if there had been any surprises since the class had begun or during their visit to Mount Vernon. Well, so far, no surprises except for really positive ones. But, uh, you know, when I take the students to Mount Vernon, you might think that we're going there to 
understand the leadership of George Washington. And of course, that is important. We learn about what he's done and we learn about what he thought. We learn above all about his decision making process, how he looked at conflicting situations and uh, what reasons he used to reach the conclusion that he did. So all of that is important. It's also important to understand his leadership style, the way he comported himself, the way he picked his clothes, the way he cared deeply about those things. But what we do is a little bit um, subversive. We're not there to simply understand George Washington. We're there to also understand people and leaders who may not always be visible but who've done a great deal to make sure that our history means something. So for, for me, that means to really try to understand the impact of Mount Vernon Ladies Association. The Mount Vernon Ladies Association is an all-women governing board founded in 1857. These founding women saw it as their responsibility to steward history. They had the forethought that Mount Vernon and its artifacts could help in the understanding of our country's founding principles. So it's a very important legacy. So I want to tell you a funny story. We go to Mount Vernon. I'm looking at the pictures of the two dozen vice regents. And guess what? I know a lot of Sweetbriar alums. And I spot that there are two alumni of Sweetbriar's. And one person who is deeply connected to Sweetbriar, although she didn't graduate from there. I thought that was interesting. Three out of two dozen. I thought this needs to be investigated. It was really special to hear President Wu be proud and the presence that Sweetbriar has across the country. So I called up an alumna called Gay Gaines. I, I think she might have been regent from 2003 to 2007. So I said, Gay, how is it possible that out of 24 vice regents, the governing board of Mount Vernon, I noticed three Sweetbriar associated people? And she said, oh, Meredith, in my time, sometimes it looked like majority. There were so many Sweetbriar women. In terms of how many there might have been, why don't you call Vaughn Morzette? Vaughn was a regent, so I call up Vaughn. And Vaughn says, oh, in my time, there were six, seven Sweetbriar women who were on that board. So that's really interesting. And I'm thinking it's not really coincidence that this happens. Sweetbriar women are particular kind of women. And I think they really move history. President Wu nailed it. Generations of Sweetbar women have led and continue to lead in ways as unique as each woman, whether we're Mount Vernon trustees, fiercely saving Sweetbriar, or working in business, science, or higher ed. And generations of Sweetbar students have led on campus, too. Students are currently helping with plans to resume in-person classes and residential living this fall. And as always, they're suggesting changes that help spur the evolution of the entire Sweetbriar community. So actually, we're in great company with President Wu at our helm. After all, she seems to be quite a mover of history herself.
Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you come back for more sweet stories in the Dell. Take care.